This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Okay, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Alaikum. Welcome. My name is Michael Morshis, and I'm the Dean of Learning Enrichment and College Readiness. It's my pleasure to moderate today's panel, Modern Muslims, Three Young Muslim Women Finding a Balance at Moraine Valley Community College. This event is sponsored by the Muslim Student Association. I would also like to acknowledge the presence of Yahala, the uh, radio, it's a radio, go ahead and tell me what it is and I'll tell them. An Arab American radio station on what again? 1450 AM. Monday through Friday, 4 to 6. Thank you for being here, and you have the cards on the tables. Before I introduce our panelists, I'd like to explain the format of this session. The three young women will respond to questions and issues I have prepared, and then to any additional questions that you may have. When we do get to the questions and answer periods, you can simply call them out to me, or you can write them on the cards and pass them up. So as they go, if you have questions, you may wish to write them down to give them to me later. If you didn't get the chance to read the session description, I'd like to share that with you now. Islam is a loving yet disciplined religion. Keeping one's path is rewarding challenge in any environment, particularly at an American community college. These young women will share their day-to-day experiences navigating two worlds as they embrace their faith in this uniquely diverse and complex culture. In my field of multicultural studies, We would say that these young women and hundreds of thousands just like them are generation 1.5 Arab Americans, not first or second generation, as they are uniquely placed between two generations and two worlds. This in-between place is a fascinating experience and one researchers are increasingly more interested in exploring. Today's session will not be a lecture on Islam, nor will be a lecture on culture. It will be an open and honest discussion of somewhere between. I hope you enjoy the panel's experiences and perspectives, and I look forward to your questions at the end of the session. Thank you for attending. Our three panelists are Miriam Idis, Bara Razik, and Nadine Farat. Okay? I will now ask them to introduce themselves to you in more detail. All right. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Peace be with you all. My name is Miriam Idis, as he said. I am 19 years old. I'm the president of the MSA here. And this is my second year at Moraine. I'm majoring in biology, and I'm from Palestine, and specifically uh, my mother is from the city, Batunia, which a lot of people know. My father's from, like, a smaller city called uh, Sha'afat, and I am third-generation American. Um, Assalamu alaikum. My name is Bara Razek, and I'm 19 years old. Uh, I am the MSA secretary for MSA, and um, my major is nursing, hopefully, if I don't change my mind. And this is my third semester here at Moraine. And um, th- I am first generation here. I am from Palestine, Ramallah, and um, specifically Anya Brut, the Balad. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Nadine. I'm majoring in early childhood education, inshallah. I hope to become a teacher one day. Um, I'm in charge of public relations for the MSA. I do a lot of work as far as, you know, out, you know, getting to people and, like, actually telling them about our club and organization. I am first-generation American. My parents are Palestinian. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. 
As I mentioned earlier, I have several questions for the panel, and I'll begin with a, a question inspired by recent events. During the Super Bowl, a Coca-Cola uh, ad ran that turned out to be a very co controversial commercial. Did you see it? What did you think? And in a broader sense, do you see yourself in the media around you? Well, um, uh, to begin with, yes, I did see it. And um, it did bring a smile on my face because um, we're not usually presented in a right way in American media. And for a company as big as Coke to bring us on a, on a commercial in the Super Bowl was really a big deal. So I thought that was really nice. Um, another thing is um, uh, Coke is a really big company and, you know, uh, so is Disney. And I watched um, the movie Frozen. I don't know if you guys heard of it. It's a new movie. And um, they did a song called Let It Go, and it's sung in 41 different languages. Now, you know, for me, you know, Arabic is the sixth most, um, most spoken language in the world, so, you know, you would expect it to be in the song. So, you know, and I, and I played the song, I got so excited, and I'm playing the song, and I'm playing, and I'm waiting for the, you know, the Arabic part to come, and it never came. And, you know, and I was really pretty shocked because Disney, you know, it's always talking about diversity and, you know, being equal and everybody's equal and everybody's the same. You should not judge people by, you know, what they wear or what their religion is. And Disney didn't have that. So that was pretty upsetting. And, um, you know, the Arabic language is spoken by 246 million people around the world. So um, they just missed that much um, of people. You know, they could have, um, uh, 246 million people would have, um, been happy about it if they brought their big language uh, in the song. But yeah, it was really nice to see Coke uh, bring us like that. I mean, I don't see myself in the media because normally they say Muslims, they're depicted as bad people. You know, they would have Muslims saying, oh, we had a new terrorist coming out. And obviously, it has to be a Muslim. So I don't see myself in the media because I know I'm not a terrorist. But when I saw that commercial, the Coke, especially coming from a big company like that, I was, like, very happy. My sister was telling me, she was like, did you see the Coke commercial? I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, God, what did they say about us? And she's like, no, it's good. And I saw it, and I, <laughs> it just it touched me, really, because they were saying, you know, how beautiful is America, this is America, and they had somebody wearing the scarf, and that just made me so happy, because normally, if you guys watch Super Bowl, how many of you guys know that commercial, Go Daddy, or, like, the Bird commercials? What do you guys see? The women are, like, half naked. So when they say this is America... And they're showing the conservative people, different cultures, and especially someone wearing the hijab. That just made me very happy by that. So I commend them for doing that. When I saw the f commercial for the very first time, um, I don't know. I mean, I was feeling like a lot of emotions all at once. But if anything, it was more of a surprise and a shocker, but nonetheless, like a good surprise. Because like for the very first time, like I mean, not for the very, very first time. I mean, they've like I feel as though, you know, there's a commercial out there that's actually putting in a Muslim hijabi, like, and she's actually representing the face of America in a way, you know? It, not a lot that you see that. You don't see that very often. I remember actually it was like Super Bowl Sunday, obviously, and my family and I, we always get together every single year, and my dad was like, see, this is what makes America so great, is the diversity. And we were kind of considered like in the melting pot of, you know, just America in general, and so that's pretty cool. And then as far as, like, when I went on YouTube, there was definitely, like, a lot of, you know, comments on, okay, well, why, you know, why, like, like America should just be sung in English or it should just represent one thing. But not necessarily. I mean, what's awesome about living here is the fact that it just, like, spoke just different languages and different cultures. And um, as far but, like, typically, you're not going to see that very often. You know, we're kind of depicted as, like, 
more of an enemy, not as a friend, as a neighbor. So to kind of see that gives me hope. We still have a long way to go, but it's very nice to see that for a change. Thank you. What challenges do you face daily as you practice your faith in this complex environment? Well, for me, I think the main one, I think maybe some of you Muslims can agree with me, is praying in public. I think that is something very, you know, when I do it, I just, I have this fear in the back of my mind, oh, someone's going to talk to me, and I don't want them to feel offended, I can't answer. And that actually did happen. My senior year of high school, I was in the back of the library, and this is a section that no one enters. So when this, you know, I see my film teacher, I'm like, oh, God, what's, like, I hope he doesn't say anything. So there's this position, it's called like sujud, which is like where you bow, and you have your forehead on the ground. And it looks, some people think it looks like yoga, others might think it looks like we passed out. So I had my teacher coming up to me, and he was like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to rush through my prayer, but I'm like, I have to get up. So I got up, and then I went back down, and he just, I heard him just like walk away, and I ran out of that library. I was just like so like, you know, I was like, oh, that's so awkward. You know, he thought I passed out. I didn't know what to tell him, and he never asked like what happened, and I was really surprised. Maybe the librarians kind of like clarified, like, oh, she's praying, she didn't pass out, she's okay. But, oh, my God, I still remember that. I still feel like so awkward about it. Um, the simple challenges that I have is um, keeping track of prayer and what time, you know, Fajr um, events. Um, but, you know, if you don't have the apps on your phone that says what time the Salah is or if you don't have the calendar on your fridge, you basically don't know. Um, not like overseas, for example, overseas you have the Adhan. And, like, everybody has, like, two or three masjids, so there's no way you're going to miss Fajr. You know what I mean? The whole house wakes up. Yeah. But here in America, I feel like your dad doesn't wake you up or you're, you miss your alarm. You kind of, you know, just miss your salah. And um, it's kind of difficult here, even in Marine, to pray because you have to move. You have to go to the U-building to pray. So especially, like, in the weather like this, like today's weather, <laughs> it's kind of really hard to go pray. And, um, yeah, it's kind of easier overseas than here. Mm-hmm. Um, another big challenge for me would probably be trying to make my prayer on time when I'm at work. So it's kind of like, okay, that's obviously like the, one of the pillars of Islam. And so that's what makes you Muslim is that you pray, you submit um, yourself to God. And part of that as an obligation is to take five times out of your day um, and to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when I'm at work, it's like, okay, work is also a priority for me. But at the same time, it's not everything. So I know that like, okay, once Asr, um, and then or once it's Maghrib, I got to get going. You know what I mean? I got to take that 10, 15 minutes. I got to do what I got to do and I'll be right back. But the only struggle with that would be is just having to like, it's like having to go through all these steps just to pray. You know what I mean? For example, I'd have to go find a fitting room. Or if that fitting room is filled with people changing in there, I'd have to like actually leave, um, leave my workplace and actually go into the mall and go somewhere else. You know what I mean? I've actually prayed what, like at one point in a, you know, small little corner off by the security, um, like office. I mean, it was like, like I just had nowhere to go. And so what I do is um, I always call my manager, and we always have a manager on duty. So I just dial the number, the extension number, and I say, hi, this is Nadine up in Moderates. Um, i got to go on my prayer break. And so usually they're, you know, obviously they know that I've got to get going, but they, they're very understanding, and that's what I appreciate. They definitely give me a lot of support. Um, but the funny thing is, like, sometimes it'll be like an hour, an hour and a half between each prayer. And so it's like I'm, like, literally leaving, like, three, four times in a day to be like during my work schedule um, and so they're probably thinking okay Nadine like you know how many times do you have to go you know so that kind of then that gets me into like having that like when they ask me a question I actually like to open up a discussion about salah prayer and so they kind of it's they get more informed hmm? 
I think another challenge that I face is with like halal food. Like, the thing is, I know I hate saying this, but for me, food is food. I will eat it, whatever it is. Unless, I mean, I don't eat pork. That's the only thing. That's my restriction. But like halal food, I'm not so strict about it because. I work at Grapevine, by the way. It's 144 John Humphrey Road. I really hope you guys go. It has some really good halal food, I swear. And, you know, I notice how hard it is to get halal food. Like, for us, the lamb is, like, the easiest thing. You know, we get a guy, he brings it in. It's government-approved, stamped, that's good. But when it comes to chicken and beef, you know, we would have to drive down to, like, I think it's 123rd in Pulaski. So from Orland Park, that's about 35 to 40 minutes away. So it's very difficult to get halal food. So I've seen it, and, you know, whenever we get it, my boss just kind of shakes her head because, you know, we're getting it because customers specifically ask for halal food. And when we get it, you know, she's kind of shaking her head. She's like, I don't even think this is halal. It has halal stamped on the wrapper, but I don't think it is because, you know, halal is when you cut from the jugular vein, and that's what kills the animal right away so they don't suffer. So, you know, when we see there's, like, you know, there's still some blood in the meat, we're like, this doesn't look like it's halal. We're like, but you know what? This is all we can do. And personally, whenever, you know, I go to a restaurant or anything and they say it's halal, I to be honest, I don't believe it too much. But, I mean, if it's halal, it's good. If not, I'll still eat it. I know it sounds bad, but <laughs> I'll still eat it. Um, another challenge I find um, is finding really good friends or influential friends. And you would think here at Marine, because there's so many different types of people, there's good and bad you would find, but it's actually really hard to find. Um, you know, you need to look for a friend that's not, that doesn't believe in, like, YOLO. You know what I mean? You could do, a, like, a mistake and khalas, you know, you're only going to live once, you know, it's not a big deal. But, you know, some mistakes that you make could change your life. For example, like, if you, like, if you went drunk driving or something, you could kill um, somebody by drunk driving, you know. So you wouldn't want to be friends with people like that. And um, Rasul said that, you know, um, your friends are a reflection of you. And if you want to know about a person, go ask about his friends. So you wouldn't want to be with friends that are going to make, like, not your reputation, but, I mean, it makes, I mean, you kind of hang out with people that are similar with you, so it only makes sense to, um, you know, for people to ask about your friends. And um, uh, I think, like, you should just find friends that want to have fun, but without, you know, getting you into trouble. I mean, there's a lot of ways to have fun without getting into trouble, so. Mm -hmm. I think to, like, also elaborate on that a little bit, I would say when it comes to, like, trying to make friends, you kind of worry because it's almost like some people you have an instant connection with the minute that you meet them. And so you become friends on, like automatically and you're like, man, I really like you. The only thing I don't like about you is you are a bad influence. So it's almost like you kind of try to find that balance like, okay, wait a second, I, wanna, I still want to be around them, but at the same time, they're really no good for me. So that's when you really have to, you know, kind of take into consideration, uh, there's, th this is my faith, you know what I mean, and this is my friend, what's more important? I think you can still find good friends out there, right? But you have to just be choose them wisely because down the road eventually their habits might become your habits they people might see you and start associating like might ref, they might see you together and they might think okay well that person has a bad reputation so you might have one along with them which isn't necessarily always the case i think you know people are just quick to like assume and judge but you just have to be really careful. You have to understand that, you know, no matter what, like a friendship should, you know, you guys should be each other's support system. You guys should help each other out. If that person says, okay, let's go pray, you know what I mean? That kind of motivates you to be able to, like, actually be closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, that's really what you want is you want someone to kind of guide you and help you make the right choices. Thank you. This is an American community college, and there are many academic expectations. One common expectation is that you work in groups in and out of the classroom. 
How do you deal with the reality that you must work with men to fulfill your academic obligations? I actually did have to do this. I mean, once again, this is the teacher from uh, the first story I mentioned about film. I had this uh, film teacher, and he partnered me up with a guy like it was my only choice. And he says, you have to work outside of school. So the option was either his house or my house. And both me and my mom kind of were like, yeah, no. She was like, you're not going to go over a guy's house. And even I feel uncomfortable at that. So if he's honestly watching this, thank you so much for being respectful. If he does see this, because he was very respectful. He's not a Muslim, but he did understand what I believed in. And he did ask me questions like, okay, you know, is this okay? And he's being very, like, respectful about it. So if you have to work with a guy and there is no girl that you can work with, this is for the females and to the men, you know, just choose someone who is respectful of your beliefs and who won't kind of, like, push the stuff on the side and be like, all right, let's talk. You know, you don't want someone like that. You want someone that respects you. So alhamdulillah, you know, that's my experience when it came to working outside of school with males. I mean, I think in this day and age, especially living in the society that we live in today, it's just, it's something very normal. It's almost like when the teacher pairs you up with somebody um, that's other than a female, it's kind of like you don't really think much of it. But um, what I always do is I always catch myself. I try to renew my intention in everything that I do. So, for example, if I get into, like, if I, you know, partner up with somebody, um, obviously I would prefer if it was, you know, if it was a girl like me. But if it was to be a male, I don't look at it as such something that you should necessarily like fear you know what I mean where it's like oh my god you know some like something might happen no that's not the case I mean I think as long as you go into it knowing that it's business and strictly business and work then you will be just fine I mean I think it's like always that thought in the back of your head though you're like okay maybe you know it might come off a little off topic just a little bit but um you always kind of catch yourself in situations like that I mean as opposed to like other countries I mean of course when it's like a predominantly Muslim country it's out of the norm over here it's just like anything else you know what I mean it's not looked upon as like oh you know you have to kind of separate them I think um it's just the way you go about it it's all about your intention you know, I think it's okay to work with men as long as it's like you keep it in certain limits. For example, if you're working on a project, you like keep it about the project. You're not talking about, oh, so how was your day? Or, you know, I saw you got, you got a new car, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I think it's fun. Like, you know, you could, as long as you're doing the project, for example, in class, it's fine. But, I mean, if it's, like, if you have to give him, for example, your number so you guys can keep in touch, you have to keep it strictly about the project, like no LOLs, no, you know, because, like, LOL will bring in a smiley and then, you know, a winky face, and then, you know, and then just, you know, it keeps, it keeps going, you know. So, yeah, you want to just try to, you know, watch out for that. And then, um, for example, like, you, you, I feel like there's no need to hang out, for example, like, to go out for coffee to talk about the project. Like, you're not going out for coffee to talk about the project, honestly. Like, how, how much, like, how long are you going to talk about the project for going out for coffee? So, like, I personally think that, you know, it's fine. Especially, like, when girls, when they come from the blood, they have, like, if, if the teacher paired them up with a guy, like, it's a sleeva. Like, oh, my God, you know what I mean? Like, I sinned or something. But it's, it's not. It's, you know, it's, it's okay as long as you, you know, your intention is clean and you're not, you know, it'll be fine. Thank you. Last semester, we hosted a very successful panel discussion on the hijab. In a more limited sense, I would like to know what issues or thoughts arise for you when you think of the word hijab. Well, honestly, especially here at Marine, there's so many different types of hijabs. I mean, there's so many different um, styles. You know, you have, like, the normal hijab, and then you have, like, the bangs, and you have that little camel thing that they put on their scarf. I don't know what it's called. Um, but, you know, you kind of, like, sit and wonder to yourself, like, really, what is hijab? Like, what is it? Like, the definition of it. Because, you know, like, I even started wondering, like, if I, am I wearing it correctly, you know? So um, hijab, what it really is, 
first I want to talk about Surah um, An-Nur. And it begins with, um, which means you have sent it down. Um, we have sent down this surah to you, and it's obligatory. I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> you can't, I can't even say that word. Yeah. <laughs> um, which means, like, it's fun. Um, so when girls, like, I hear a lot of girls saying, like, oh, you know, hijab is a choice, and um, you don't have to wear it. Well, it is a choice, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the hijab in the surah, and he begins it saying that it's everything in the surah is fun. So it's fun. Like, that's, that's what it, it is, what it is, you know? Yeah. And then... Um, the next ayah I want to talk about is um, first we're going to talk about the men's modesty you know and no, I noticed how like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the men's modesty before the women's and he says you guys have to lower your gaze uh, he says tell the believing men to reduce some of their vision which means you know lower your gaze and guard their private parts which pretty much means you know like you don't have to wear you know your jeans sagging or whatever pull them up you know nobody wants to see that um, and then after that they talk about the women's hijab and the hijab in this surah, it's called um, um, it's called khimar. And khimar is actually, you know, some girls say, oh, hijab is never mentioned in the Quran. Well, the reason is, it's because hijab is just a modern name of um, of the hijab. It's actually called khimar. And um, he says, uh, and do not display their beauty except um, what is apparent. And they should place their khimar over their bosoms, which, you know, to cover up to their chest. Um, so basically... Um, I mean, the hijab is just showing your face and your hands, nothing else, no bangs, you know. And you know, you know what kind of like, kind of irritates me is when I see a girl put on a hijab, right? And she's in the morning, you know, she's ironing her hijab, she's matching the pins with it, she's making sure it matches with her outfit, and then she has to like, subhanAllah, the ghura just magically falls out from under the hijab, you know what I mean? Like, you might as well get the, you know, the credit for it, you know. Uh, I mean, you're going through all the trouble, you might as well, you know, just put it on correctly. You know, um, so, oh, I also want to mention that, um, you know how hijab, it comes from the word khimar, like khimar is the real name of hijab. Well, the word khimar actually came from the word khamr, which means alcohol in Arabic. You guys know that, right? And what does alcohol do to you? It, in, it, in, it intoxicates you and it covers your head. So I thought it was kind of interesting that it came from that word. So, yeah. what do you think? Um, okay, so hijab to me what it means um i would say hijab is like it's really a beautiful thing it really really is i think a lot of people just kind of like get that bad image in their mind that it's like restrictive and you you know you're limited to like only black and you can't do this and you can't wear that it's completely the opposite thing i mean i think uh you could still have that sense of style you could still have that fashion you could still look and feel beautiful but at the same time it's like you're modifying everything it's not like you're kind of giving it all away you know what i mean it's at the like you're just being yourself and you're expressing yourself like for example if you're waking up in the morning right and you are in the mood for pink or if you're in the mood for yellow or blue or green I mean you could color coordinate you could match you could bedazzle sparkly all that kind of fun stuff I mean you could still just enjoy it you know what I mean and still at the same time not lose the essence of it that's the most important thing is that you don't contradict it you know what I mean it's like you're wearing the actual scarf on your head but the you know but the image does you know, fit what you're what you're trying to represent. So, um, I think you could still, like I said, you could still be fun and like a fashionista. <laughs> I want to go off of what Borat said. How she said it was obligatory. I'm not saying it isn't. It is. And just the other day, I had somebody ask me at our MSA booth that we have on Mondays. She went up to me and said, "Is the thing you're wearing on your head is that obligatory?" I said, "Yes, it is. We have to wear it." And I said, "My advice, honestly, to anyone that is considering wearing the hijab." 
start at a young age because when you're older, it gets a lot harder to wear it. And I know people who are like in their 30s and 40s who said, I want to wear the hijab, but I feel like it's too late or it's too hard to do because it does become very difficult. And it's like when you learn a language. They tell you learn at a young age because you grasp the information a lot better. So you learn that language at a younger age than when you're older. Same thing with the hijab. If you start at a younger age, it gets a lot easier to wear it later on in your life, inshallah. So. Okay. I think this is a good time to segue to a more general but very pertinent theme of modesty. What issues do you deal with as you practice your sense of modesty? Well, you know, some issues that I... Um that happens to me like sometimes as um, men extend their hand to shake hands with me and I don't shake hands because it's haram and you know it's a form of modesty but um you know I, but I think it's okay if it's from like an American or like you know a non-Muslim because he doesn't know so you know I tell him you know uh, you know I can't shake hands with you I'm sorry and you know I feel kind of bad because you know in America if you if you don't shake hands with somebody it's like you're making the guy feel like a fool or whoever you're shaking hands with you know it's kind of really rude it's like somebody saying assalamu alaikum to you and you're just like you know Oh hi, you know they're not saying it back. So um, I think I think it's like if it's from American or something, I don't really mind. I don't really get offended. But like what really bothers me is when it's like a Muslim yeah, puts out his hand and like shake wants to shake hands with you. It's like really like you know it's haram and like you know like are you testing me? What are you trying to do? You know. So I think that that really ticks me off. As long as it's like from from an American or whatever, I don't I don't really mind. I tell them you know I'm sorry I can't shake hands with you and I put my hand on my chest. But um, if it's from a, a Arab or a Muslim, like, I'm just going to leave him hanging there, making him feel like, like you're dumb. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing, shaking hands thing kind of scares me. I'm not going to lie. Because, you know, before it even happens and they extend their hands, you're kind of freaking out. You're like, oh, God, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. So, like, what do I do? <laughs> like, what do I do? And you think that's, it's, oh, my God. Like, if I had a dollar for every time that happened, I'd be a millionaire by now. But, like, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you want to practice your faith and you want to, uh, what's it called, try your best to be able to, like, you know, follow through with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, what's it called, wants for you, ultimately. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like you want to show them that, yes, it's a pleasure meeting you, but I don't necessarily have to come in physical contact with you either. So what I do is I always place my hand on my heart. That's kind of my form of saying, okay, well, it was nice meeting you. Um, what's it called? And then sometimes it's like they give you that puzzled look, like, wait a second, did I do something wrong? And the minute they do that, because just by my nature is kind of like I freak out when I feel like someone got offended by me or like they probably misinterpreted what I was about what I was what I what I was saying so I kind of get a little worried and I'm like no no it's okay it's not you trust me it's not you it's just this is my Islamic beliefs and it's nice meeting you you know I mean with me I didn't realize how offensive it is you know not to shake someone's hand until my it was 4th of July actually recently I was me and my neighbors for the first time and I lived in like I live in a retired uh, you know neighborhood which is great because it's kind of quiet but at the same time, it was my first time meeting them, and I had one guy, and I remember this specifically because, you know, he had his hand out, and, you know, he's, he wants me to shake his hand, and I'm like, I'm so sorry I don't shake hands with men, and I put my hand in my heart, and he's still there. I'm like, okay, he's old. Maybe he can't hear me. So I go louder. I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, I can't shake hands with men, and he, I cannot forget his face because he was so upset. He was kind of like just there, and he did it for another, like for a third time. He just, he kept it there. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't shake hands with men. It's for religious reasons, and he just walked away. And I don't blame him because this is like our social norm. You know, you don't shake someone's hand 
that is like really bad and it just it makes them just feel like they're hanging there like as if they kind of like humiliated themselves. They look just, foolish. Yeah, they look foolish, yeah. exactly. So this is why I think why people get so offended when we don't shake their hands. But to the Muslims, I want you guys to think of it this way. If you guys are ashamed of not shaking, you know, a creation's hand, think of your creator. How, you know, how does that feel that when we, you know, God tells us to do something and we don't do it? So that's how I kind of look at it. I feel bad. And then I actually had a customer who went up to me, and I was really surprised he said this. Um, you know, he sent his hand and said, I'm so-and-so. And I said, I'm so sorry. I don't shake hands with men. And he was like, wait. And I was like, oh, God, he's going to, you know, get, he's going to fume right now. He's like, why are you apologizing? Those are your beliefs. Why would you apologize for that? And I swear that made me just so happy hearing that because no one has ever told me, you know, not to apologize for my beliefs. And he said, this is what you believe in. Don't apologize. And this was really beautiful when I heard that. And another issue that I have, I think, with, is jeans. I, even, like, when I look in the audience, almost all of us are wearing, like, jeans, even though we're in Hajj jeans. I don't feel like, you know, it makes you less of a Muslim but I think the problem is that with me, I wear it and I don't like it because I feel every time I wear it in the morning, I like I hate it. I feel so guilty about it because I don't feel like I'm representing my religion, you know, positively. But I feel like it's the most convenient. Like you have no idea how long I've been looking on Amazon for a skirt. Like I've been looking on there, I'm like, I'll find it. Because lately, every store is trying to fit in with like you know the fashion, you know, skinny jeans, you know, short skirts, and it becomes very hard to find anything, you know, modest. So, I mean, I think jeans are just convenient. That's why I wear it. But to be honest, I'm not really a fan of it. And um, I'm fine with jeans as like I'm. You know, I wear jeans too. But I mean, if you guys look at us, like we're three different. We're three Muslims, and we're all wearing three different types of hijabs. You know, and it's not like like jeans is haram or jeans is halal. You know, but for me, I feel like I have to wear the abai because I feel like it defeats the purpose. You know what I mean? Um, like you know, certain jeans are okay, like wide jeans because the jilbab is um, jilbab means a wide dress or a wide shirt. So anything like pretty much, you're the reason why. I wear that vice because you're not supposed to tell when you look at a girl, you're not supposed to tell whether she's a size 1 or a size 10. You know, if she gained 10 pounds that week or if she lost 10 pounds that week. That's the whole point of, like, the jilbab or, you know, like, hijab in general. So that's the reason why I don't wear jeans. But I don't. I think it's fine as long as, you know, it just depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I used to, at one point, like, I used to also wear jeans and pants. And, I mean, at one, but then I decided, I said, you know what, I kind of want to step it up a little bit. And I switched over to the abai. And alhamdulillah, I mean, like, I'm kind of, like, saying it, like, you go from one stage to the other. And that's true. Sometimes you kind of need that, like, motivation, that kick to kind of drive you to, like, just do a little more and, um, you know, just try to find more connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I think for me it was kind of like, you know, I wanted to be able to, like, practice the hijab and still, you know, just kind of not even necessarily fit in. I would just say, like, I wanted to express myself at the same time and just kind of, like, enjoy it. I actually wanted to mention um, a story that happened to me in high school. Um, I had um, this kid, he, uh, he was in my class, and he was looking at me weird, all funny and stuff. So, you know, I asked him, I was like, you know, what's wrong? Why are you looking at me? And he was like, you know what, no, I just have a question about that thing on your, like the scarf on your head. Um, I met this girl, and um, she just put it on, and she put it on because her mom punished her because she got caught smoking. You know, so I was just like, oh, okay. You know, she put it on for the wrong reasons, obviously. You're not supposed to put it on as a punishment. You're supposed to put it on, you know, for Allah, because we're not oppressed or anything. So um, I was like, okay, so what's your question? He's like, you know, so if she got caught, you know, smoking and she had to put on the hijab, what did you do for your parents to put on the whole outfit? You know, something I'm like, oh my God, this kid's like pumping up any hashish or something, or like I'm, I'm a drug dealer or anything. You know, so, I, so then I kind of realized, like, 
this is, you know, he probably doesn't know. You know, I mean, I can't blame him. And this is why we have panels like this, so people get informed about what the hijab is. And, like, we just try to give you the info, and then you guys just get to choose what you guys want. Okay, to a more interesting topic, love and marriage. (laughs) Tell us what you think about your eventual marriages and your eventual husbands. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) let me just start off and say that... um, um, my future husband is probably not in this room. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. You know, you never know. But um, I think um, love and marriage in Islam, I think, or not think, like I'm sure, positive, that Islam is like the purest form of love. It's like the realest form of love. Because I believe if a guy truly does love you, he's not going to come up to you and ask for your number. He's not going to come up to you and be like, oh, you know, can we, you know, get to me? And then I'll, you know, think about, you know, I'll call your dad then. No, I think it doesn't make any sense because why would you put yourself as an option like that? You know, like after, you know, he talks to you and has a good time and then he'll think about like, oh, you know, no, I, you know, I don't really like you that much. Uh, I don't see you as a wife. And then you're just left with a broken heart, you know. So I think, it's, I mean, it, it is, <laughs> I keep thinking think when I know it is, but um, it is the realest love because when a guy falls in love with you, he's not going to come to you. He's just going to go straight to the boss. You know, he's going to go to your dad, be like, you know, yeah, I'm me. I like your daughter, <laughs> and um, you know I'm interested in you know I want to get married, and I'm really interested um, in your daughter, and I really I really want to get to know her. And then you know once your dad finds out, you know your dad really wants the best for you, and he's not gonna like you know kick him out and be like you know don't come back. You know if he's a really good guy, he's gonna see that in him, and he's gonna tell him you know hello sala, and you know and you guys could go from there. But you know like a lot of girls I see them like they fall into that trap of like mm-hmm. before I talk to your dad, and then after you know he has a good time with her and talks to her. And talks her and, and stuff, and they meet up, and then mm-hmm. he's like, sorry, I'm just going to kind of move on. Yeah. You, know, so. to, you know, to add on to what you were saying, I think that's so true. I really, really do. I feel like if someone genuinely loves you and cares about you and, and actually sees a future with you, then I think he, as no matter how scared, worried, or um, just kind of nervous he is, he will still do the right thing and actually, you know, come to your house, do it the right way. You know what I mean? Because there's Sunnah, there's, um, there's the Quran, there's, I mean, there's so many things to follow. Like Islam tells you exactly what to do. So if you've got that right in front of you and you know that if you do it that way, inshallah, God will even, you know, give you more blessings for doing that so I think it's just really comes down to like you actually putting in you know the efforts and not just talking the talk actually you know actions do speak louder than words so um, and it's also really you know love and marriage like Barat was saying it's a beautiful thing it really really is and I think it depends on who you're going but like the whole process of trying to find that person is also very important. That person is going to complete half of your DN. So you want to make that a good half. You don't want that to just be anybody. So it's kind of like you have to consider so many different options and so many different angles, yet at the same time, that person is not perfect, and you aren't either. So you have to compromise. You have to respect one another. And you just want someone that's just going to, like, really, like, love you and care about you at the end of the day. So... Mm-hmm. I think they can all agree, me, agree with me when I say this. Um, I think personally with me is that I want someone who fears God. And when, because the prophet, peace and blessings upon him, said, find someone who fears God, like has religion, and who also has good character. Now, when he says religion, sometimes, you know, the people at the mosque might not be the most religious people. You know, if they pray five times a day, it does not mean they have a good heart. So when, some, when he says, you know, someone that fears God, this is someone who would be like, 
you know, they wouldn't want to hurt you because if they hurt you, they know that, okay, God might hurt, like, you know, sister, bring someone like that, or maybe even his own mother. So they would have that fear in the back of their minds. So I want someone who fears God and then good character. So someone who maybe when they donate, they're humble about it. They don't, you know, show it off to the world. And there was an event I went to called Massic, and there's a few people who, you know, wrote down their full name. And the whole point of donating is to be sincere. So when somebody doesn't mention their name, that shows sincerity. You know, you mm-hmm. want someone who is humble, who is kind, who cares. Mm-hmm. And, I've been, you know, I find a lot of women, I talk to even my friends, I say, so what do you look for? And they say, I want a guy who has best looks. I want him to be like Channing Tatum looking, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, a guy who has like so much money, who's like a millionaire. But the reality is not the many who have money. So you have to understand that. And wealth does not last forever, and you can easily lose your money. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is looks are not forever. You know, for the guys, the girls will eventually get, you know, maybe cellulite, stretch marks from kids. So that beauty will not last forever, I guarantee it. And for the men, they're going to get old and wrinkly. So to be honest, if you're looking for looks, that's not something you're going to benefit from. Or if something happens, a tragic event, and they lose their looks, what are you going to do after that if you married them for their looks and they have a horrible personality? So I think that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I always, uh, you know, she's like, her words are golden. I think, like, I completely agree with what she's saying. I really do. And I think above all else, like I said, it's just, it's piety. That's what you want to look for. You want to look for someone that's just really like a good Muslim man. Like, I'm talking somebody that, like, fears God because when he fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that means he will treat you right. And when he respects his religion and he respects himself, then that says a lot about his character. Character is number one above all else. I mean, looks is a bonus. It is, but at the end of the day, it's really not everything. It really isn't. I mean, I think, uh, you know, people, we're just a society that's like, okay, we love to, like, look at things that are just beautiful, and we, you know, we're attracted automatically by uh, what we see, and a lot of the times, looks can fool you. So, I mean, I took a sociology class in high school, and my uh, teacher, and it really stuck with me because it made a lot of sense. He said it's like a balance. It's kind of like if that person has good character, good, lovable character, and maybe they're not as good, I mean, maybe they're not as beautiful maybe in looks, if you want to put it that way, it kind of, the scale becomes, like I said, a balance, you know what I mean? Because of their personality, you will see them as a beautiful person. Mm-hmm. And another issue I wanted to mention about marriage is um, a lot of girls postpone marriage because, you know, they're worried that they're not going to be able to finish their education. And, you know, some Arab men, like, just from a cultural point of view, they don't want their wives to get a really good education. But I wanted to share this um, this poem, or it's, I'm going to, you know, it's a quote, actually. And it's from my sixth grade um, Arabi book, from my um, Arabi teacher. And I'm going to say in Arabi first, and then I'm going to say it in English. And um, it's by an... Um, uh, an Iranian poet, which is kind of ironic because when you think, you know, Iran, you think it's like oppressed and no education and stuff. So um, it says, كَيْفَ تَرْجُو بِالْأَبْنَاءِ خَيْرًا إِذَا رِبْيُوا فِي أَحْضَانِ الْجَاهِلَاتِ Which basically means, how do you expect good to come out of your kids um, if they grew up in the arms of the oppressed and uneducated mothers? Which totally makes sense. I mean, like, I mean, you're, the mother is, you know, she has basically the future in her hands. If she's uneducated, how do you expect your kids, you know, يطلعوا فالحين and, you know, يطلعوا صالحين and stuff. So I just wanted to share that and um, I wanted the girls just to understand that um, education is a must. You need to have an education to get married mm-hmm. because, you know, you don't, if you don't, you don't have the tools to be a mother or to be a wife. So uh, just keep that in mind. It's deep. Yeah, it's pretty deep. Yeah. And I, and, um, you know, eventually we're all going to be mothers, you know what I mean? And 
and I think personally it's the best career. You know, girls are like, they're trying, you know, you know they want to get degrees, they want to have the best careers out there. But honestly, the best career out there is being a mother. Because if you think about it, who's the most dearest person to your heart? It's your mother. And um, she's un- unreplaceable. You know, you could replace a brother, you could um, replace a sister, but you can't replace a mother. Um, so uh, just, yeah, keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. I think it's only fair to tell you that the other day this was not their favorite question, but they <laughs> certainly answered it very well today. Thank yes. you. I know from many conversations with Muslim men and women around the world that we often struggle with things that we don't have much control over, and we would, you know, we would like to be able to deal with them better than we can. One such construct is our reputation. How do you protect or safeguard your reputation? The simplest answer I can give you right now before explaining everything is don't put yourself in that situation. If you, let's say, a lot of girls, you know, instead of going to their friends, sometimes they'll see a guy there and like, oh, you know, it's easier just to ask him for a ride home. If you put yourself in that situation, how do you think your parents will feel, you know, about that? If you step out of your body and you saw yourself getting into a car with a random guy, how do you think it will look? And even if your attentions are good at that time, people will misinterpret it and say, oh, she obviously, you know, she likes him. Oh, they're going to probably do something. There's a saying that says, uh, make 100 excuses before you jump to one conclusion, but how many people will actually jump, you know, will think of a hundred excuses. As humans, we jump to that one conclusion, and that is our problem. And I was actually going to mention, do you guys know who Mary is, Jesus' mother? Oh, uh, okay. I, I was like, you guys don't know her? I was named after her, but okay. And it was mentioned in chapter 66, verse 12, about how, you know, she said that she was devoutly obedient. So imagine being described as that. And she was mentioned in a few other chapters, and there was also a chapter named after her. And that's where I, my mom, you know, she got that name for me. She was reading it, and she said, I'm going to name her that. Hopefully that she'll become as pious as her. So she was, you know, named as a very pious woman. But, and she, you know, took her years and years to build up her reputation. Within seconds, it was ruined. People, they knew her, and they said, you know, she's obviously not married. So when they saw her with a the baby, they are like, she committed, you know, premarital sex, obviously. Like, what's the other, you know, reason? And her baby had to testify for her. So another thing I'm going to tell you is that don't give in. If somebody's, you know, spreading a rumor about you, don't just randomly, you know, say, that's it. I'm going to give in to it. Who cares? It's already ruined. Try fighting for it because there's always a fault in a story. And, you know, this woman is very pious. So we have to also keep in mind that no matter how noble and pious you are to people, if someone sees something wrong, they might spread it. And even if it's wrong, I mean, what are you going to do after that? So just don't put yourself in those situations because that is the most important thing. If you want to up, like, uphold your reputation and make sure that everyone sees you as a good person. So. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's a very t- touchy subject because I think in one way or another, all of us have kind of, you know, seen, uh, you know, just maybe whether it was gossiping, whether it was, you know, somebody slandering another person, whether it was like seeing something and then just repeating what you saw. I think as far when when it comes to gossiping, though, you shouldn't just worry about the reputation of yourself. You should also worry about the reputation of others. So the same way you would want someone to respect you, you have to also respect others as well. That's the most important thing. I think no matter what, we kind of, it's like an I, I, I kind of thing, like I got to take care of myself. That's true, but to an extent, sense like especially when you see something wrong right you know it might be a shocker to you at first but that doesn't necessarily mean okay well you know I'm going to take that and I'm going to continue on with it and just you know make it 
and you know kind of dig the hole for that person and just kind of throw them in there no you have to really be considerate of other people's feelings give the benefit of the doubt give excuses do what you can to just think the best of people and sometimes people do have a hidden agenda you don't i mean you really don't know allahu alam that's all in god's knowledge but at the end of the day us as you know especially when it comes down to our religion and us being muslims that's the most important thing we're one ummah you know what i mean we're brothers and sisters in islam so no matter what instead of you know taking each other down you're supposed to pick somebody back up and help them it's really just what we're supposed to do yeah. um i think that you know we're all human we're all going to eventually sin and um, you know, you know, we're we're Middle Eastern, so like it's like in our blood to gossip. You know what I mean? Not in our blood, but like it's a really, really, really bad habit that we have to, you know, try to get rid of. But you know, my mom always tells me that a girl's reputation is like a glass, and once it's broken, it's really, really hard to patch it up. And it's true, especially in the Middle East. Like it's really, it's really rare for you know to get patched up. So I just wanna, I just wanna say that like if you know we have sisters, and you know guys have sisters, and guys have mothers, and guys have um, you know, ants, and you don't want anybody to talk or ruin their reputation, you know, so you shouldn't do that to other girls as well. And um, another thing is, um, I think it's okay to sin, like I said, because we're all human, but I think it's better if you learn from other, other people's sins. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, if you're, you know, you had a friend that, you know, was drunk driving, he got into a car accident, you don't have to, you know, go get drunk and get into a car accident for you not to do it again. You know what I mean? You just lean, learn from other people's mistakes. So I think, I mean, it's okay to sin, but I think you should just open up your eyes a little bit and, you know, look at other people's sins and try to learn from them. Okay. What careers are you chasing, and have you faced any obstacles over that choice or your pursuit? Um, do you want me to start, guys? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, my career is nursing, inshallah. <laughs> you know, like I said, I, I changed my mind pretty quick, but so far it's nursing. I'm trying to get into the program here at Marine. But um, I had a problem when I, when I wanted to choose my um, major. Um, when I told my cousins I wanted to become a nurse, you know, they went and did, like, research, and they came up, you know, they came the next day, and they were like, oh, you know, nursing is actually haram, you know. So, <laughs> I, you know, I just kind of looked at them, and I was like, okay, mishfahim, like, you guys want, women doctors and you guys want women nurses and women surgeons but you don't you think it's haram for me to become a nurse you know so i was kind of upset about it and you know i kind of you know actually and i actually took their you know we know their what they told me into consideration and <laughs> you know but um anyway like a few weeks later um you know i volunteer at sunday at a islamic sunday school uh, as a teacher's aide and one of my students had a seizure in class like right in front of me, you know. And alhamdulillah, I did take CNA classes and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always taking bio classes and stuff. So if I didn't know what to do, you know, that girl would have been in really, really big trouble, you know. So um, when I, you know, after that incident, I was like, for sure, I'm going to go into nursing because, you know, and, you know, a nurse is needed in these kind of situations, you know. So I think I was just kind of like aside from God, like, yeah, you know, just pursue your career. For me, I think the only bad experience, it's not so much a bad experience, but it's someone somewhat warning me. And they were saying that I know someone who was a nurse, and just her first six months, you know, she heard a dirty comment. Like, I'm not going to get in detail of that, but she was saying, you're going to have to see naked men. And I was like, I took that into consideration. That is not my goal to do that. And I, you know, I feel uncomfortable with that. But, I mean, if it's saving someone's life, why not, you know, get into nursing? 
But so far, I mean, thank God, everyone's been, like, very supportive of it. I had customers at work who were, like, telling their kids, like, oh, she's going to be a nurse. I'm like, we'll see. Inshallah. <laughs> but, and a lot of people were just very nice about it, saying, you know, oh, sh- good luck. You're going to be a great nurse. Oh, you're so nice. Oh, you're going to be an amazing nurse. And that's, like, I love hearing that, alhamdulillah. So, you know, I, inshallah, like, when I become a nurse, the whole goal is to help people. It's not so much of anything bad. Just put your intentions well, and hopefully everything falls into place. Uh, Okay, <laughs> I think, well, see, when I first got into college, I was so indecisive. I said, okay, I, I like the field of psychology, and I also like the field of education. Um, there's really not that much to, like, talk about as far as, like, oh, being a teacher. You know, people kind of, you know, they brush it off a little bit. You know, there's really nothing you can kind of nitpick and say that it's wrong. But um, I think when I spoke to my dad one time, and I said, Baba, you know, I really like psychology. I really, really enjoy psychology. And so he said, I think the only struggle that I had with that was the idea of like, okay, well, like a woman psychologist in a way, or it's like that's not going to make enough money. It's probably not going to be, um, you know, something you really want to deal with. You're probably going to have to deal with a lot of crazy people. But, um, you know, alhamdulillah, like I narrowed it down. So now I know ultimately what I want. But, I, you know, I kind of struggled with that a little bit. So, Our last topic is simply sin. We focus a great deal of our effort and attention on avoiding sin, but what happens when we fail? How do you deal with your own sin? Okay. Um, I would say, okay, it's when you sin, like, it just makes you human. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you, like, this horrible, like, individual that people have to stay away from. It's really, like, a, sometimes it's a struggle between, like, having that temptation and wanting to do something and kind of branching, like, you know, stepping away from what you know is right. And sometimes it's a struggle between your heart and your mind. Like your heart tells you one thing, your mind tells you another. And sometimes your heart kind of overcomes your mind a little bit. So sometimes you even make mistakes without even being aware that you're making a mistake. And it happens. It really, really happens. It, I mean, it's just, it's kind of like human nature. God didn't create us as devils, nor did he create us as angels. We were put on this earth for a reason, ultimately, but at the same time, we were given free will and free choice. And so a lot could come out of, you know, doing sin. Not that I'm saying it's a good thing or I'm recommending it, but... I would say I would look at it as when you make a mistake, you learn from it, and by learning from it, you just better your character. And in a in a narration by the prophet, peace be upon him, he said, "By him in whose hand is my life, if we if you were not to commit a sin, Allah would sleep would sweep you out of existence, and He would replace you by those people who would commit sin and seek forgiveness." from Allah, and he would have pardoned them. So no matter what you do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy outweighs his anger and his judgments of you. So never think that you're so far away that you can't come back. Like I attend a halakha um, almost every Friday. I try as much as I can. And I know one of the speakers, she mentioned something, and it really, like, stuck to me. And, I, and she said, you know, somebody could really, really be so far away from God, and you come back in an instant. And somebody could be so close to God and stray away in an instant. So that's, I mean, it just takes, like, seconds almost. You know what I mean? So you really want to understand that no matter what, you can always come back to Allah, and Allah's mercy will always be there. Okay. Um, how do I deal with sin? Um, 
I, I, I don't really deal with it. I kind of like feel bad after a few days when I'm, you know, kind of, <laughs> you know, I kind of think about it, at, you know, after a few days, I'm like, oh, you know, I should have probably not done that. But uh, I think like a lot of us sin because of, you know, not because we want to sin, you know, sometimes it's just like you're trying to fit in or, you know, peer pressure and stuff. And, you know, I know like, you know, parents notice your fake friends before you do. So sometimes when you're fr- like your parents know more than you do because they send before you. So if they tell you, for example, like don't walk with this individual or don't walk with that individual, they know, you know, they're probably up to no good, you know, and they're going to make, you know, do things that you're going to regret later on. So um, just, I just, um, you know, if my parents, for example, you know, tell me not to do this, I just listen, even though I don't know, you know, at that time, why? But, you know, <laughs> later on, I kind of figure it out. And sometimes I see that person that she told me not to walk to, walk with. And then I'm like, oh, you know, I see now. But, you know, how I do this, I don't know. It's just, you know, I ask for that and forgiveness, mm-hmm. pretty much. Uh, what I'm going to say about sin is that, just nod, you don't have to actually raise your hand and be proud of this, but how many of you felt like, you know, your parents made it seem like as if sinning was, inhu- like, you know, it's not human of us to do this, and you're not, you know, a good person. Our parents are saints. Like, did you guys ever feel like that? Oh, so I'm just the only one. Okay. <laughs> but like if you got an F when you were little, I was an awal asaf. You know, I was, you know, I got straight A's when I was your age. Oh, I get that a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about that. There's like 30 people in the classroom, like, uh, you know, and then you're yeah. at work in the classroom and you're like, how did you guys both get A's? Like, I don't oh, know. You're lying. I, I mean, with me, it's just that, you know, I always felt like when I was younger that if I sinned, oh, my God, I should be ashamed of myself. It's not part of our human nature. You know, it's just me and I'm bad like that. But I realized after a while, you know, God, he loves us. We're, he's very merciful. He likes when we ask for repentance. So if you guys repent, he's not going to be like, so until I saw you behind that corner, I know you did something wrong. He's not going to be like that. He's like, you know, I'm, my arms are open. Whatever you have to say is okay. I'll forgive you. And there was a beautiful hadith. And for any of you guys that don't know, a hadith means like a story. It doesn't necessarily mean something that prophets. It's just, you know, stuff that was from back in the days that they have recorded. So this is actually something that, this just so happened to be something the prophet did say. But it says, um, on the authority of Anas, he said, I heard the messenger of Allah, peace and blessings upon him, say, Allah the Almighty said, O son of Adam, so as long as you call upon me and ask of me, I shall forgive you for what you have done, and I shall not mind. O son of Adam, were your sins to reach the clouds of the sky, and were you then to ask forgiveness of me, I would forgive you. O son of Adam, were you to come to me with sins nearly as great as the earth, and were you then to face me ascribing no partner to me, I would bring you forgiveness nearly as great as this. So this is in uh, Hadith Qudzi 34. So this is like telling us that, you know, we're humans, we sin, and God doesn't hate us for that. He doesn't mind. I mean, you should feel bad for what you do, but at the same time, don't feel like it's the end of the world and you can't ask for forgiveness because he loves us, you know, for this, that we are sinners and that when we go to him, he loves us even more for this. So I say if you sin, I mean, it's bad feel you know feel bad for what you did don't repeat the same mistake but at the same time ask god for forgiveness because that's what life's about okay that concludes my questions now i'd like to give the three of you a chance to add any final remarks to today's panel um i just want to thank you guys for coming today and taking the time out of your day to come and i want to thank the staff for you know uh, without you this would have been would not have been possible and i just want to say to you guys that you know um you know, even though we live in a country that's, you know, it's really difficult to follow our religion, you know, and we, you know, we sin, we do sin sometimes, and, um, uh, you know, we do get off the road, 
of you know the straight path. But you know, living in this country, it is you know at the same time it is it's great. You know what I mean? Like some people wish that they could live, you know, to come to this country and live the life that we live. You know, so it does have its pros and cons. But I wouldn't live it any other way. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I would say the very same thing. I would say when you live your life as a Muslim, it's truly a blessing. You know, I always say that no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the struggle, it's all worth it. It really, really is. I think sometimes you go through hardships in your life, but what doesn't kill you, it only makes you stronger, as they say. So, I mean, my dad, ever since I was a little kid, he used to always tell me, you're Muslim before anything else. That's your number one priority in this life. That's your purpose, you know. So whatever you do, whatever you aspire, I want you to ultimately be happy but also remember Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything that you do so I mean it's really not I wouldn't say it's a religion I would say it's more of a way of life because you can find it in every aspect of your life literally from the way you greet people to the way you educate yourself to just everything you know Islam is always there so alhamdulillah I just want to say it doesn't matter where you're from we are all beautiful in the eyes of God and I hopefully, inshallah, my future, you know, my religion will hopefully give me the strength and tools that I need to become a stronger woman, inshallah. So thank you guys for coming out here. Okay, at this point, do we have any questions? Yes. Okay, I'm going to repeat the question just because it's being videotaped. Mm-hmm. Have any of you thought about converting? Uh, not that, not converting. Um, I think it's at one point in your life, you kind of start to not necessarily question yourself out of your faith. No, um, it's just kind of like you're wondering what your purpose here is. You know what I mean? You see everything around you and you're like, ah, well, you know, why am I living? Why am I breathing? Why am I talking? Why am I here? You know, so you start to kind of like wonder, you know, what this life is all about and does it have more to offer than just this worldly, you know what I mean? Uh, Just, I guess, you know, just going to school, family, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like you question but not in a sense where you question yourself out of your religion it's more like i want to know more give me more answers you know what i mean it's more along the lines of that so mm-hmm. like to educate yourself more about the religion and that's what islam really like islam doesn't say okay no to science or it doesn't say no to this or no to that no i mean you're supposed to ask questions you're supposed to like even the prophet peace be upon him said seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave so even scholars Till this point, don't know everything. You know what I mean. So I think it's more along the lines of like, you know, I just want to know more. I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm Muslim, alhamdulillah, but I just want to, you know, just kind of be more in tune with my faith a little bit. I mean, for me, it was just like there was a point in my life where I kind of just like thought of myself. I said, why am I Muslim? And it wasn't like a bad thing. Like I wasn't saying, oh, Muslim, like you know, being Muslim is horrible. But it was just to the sense where I was like, why am I Muslim? Because when you're younger, you know, your parents, you know, especially my mom, you know, she's telling me in Kuwait the way it is that they only tell you about your religion. They say, this is your religion. This is how it is. Don't ask questions. Like, it's always right. And it's, that's true. I mean, subhanAllah, I actually figured out, like, you know, Islam is, like, the right religion for me. And, you know, when I was looking up more about it, I was like, wow, that is so beautiful. I didn't know that about, you know, my religion. So it was kind of, there was a point in my life where I just, you know, thought to myself, I said, why am I Muslim? And I decided to do more research. And then that actually made my faith grow but to be honest, I never actually thought about converting because it's like when you look at other religions, like personally with me, I looked at other religions and I said, that doesn't make sense. Like, why does that happen? So, you know, I actually enjoyed it. Like, I looked up stuff and I said, this is the right religion. I, I cannot, you know, choose anything else. This, I know it's right in my heart. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, me, uh, kind of the same thing as like Maryam, like Maryam said. But for me, like, I was born Muslim. 
But I never really um, questioned my religion because, you know, I, re- I, have, I always, like, research other religions. And every time I research other religions and look into them, I kind of feel like something's missing or, like, something doesn't make sense. But, like, when I open the Quran, like, I feel like everything is, like, perfect. Everything just fits. You know what I mean? And not just that. Like, they have a lot of scientific facts. Like, there's no way, you know, somebody could write this book and know this from, like, 14,000 years ago. It just doesn't make any sense. You know? So, um, yeah, but, like, you know, like, for example, like, in high school, when you're just kind of lost and just trying to figure out who you are, you don't question your religion. You just kind of question yourself, like, everything, like, who you want to be and stuff. But, no, I never really, um, just, like, even the thought of converting never crossed my mind. Any other questions? Do we have like little note cards if you guys are like shy? <laughs> you guys can write too, your questions. Right? Yeah, yeah. Indeed. we can't use because like you know, <laughs> so you guys don't get up and go eat. Yeah, oh, no, so bribe them actually. <laughs> yeah, just bribe them. Questions. Yeah. Go ahead. So it's kind of interesting how you say, uh, on one hand, like you found out that nursing, for example, is haram, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, you, you kind of negotiate culture and saying, I'm not going to shake hands with a man. Mm-hmm. So the question is. When do you look inside and determine that it's okay to kind of cross over the cultural threshold in one point, but not in another? Well, you know, it's not that nursing is haram, technically. It's not like it's haram. It's just that... It's it's like if you can find a better job, like because you know how like nursing you have to touch patients, you need to get physical and stuff. So that's why it's like it's better if you just find a better career or like you know something else. But for me personally, like I I kind of like nursing, and they ask for Muslims, so I, this doesn't make any sense. So it's not technically haram. It's just more of a like you said, like aib. You know what I mean? Like why would you why would you want to be that? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's what I hear all the time. But yeah, I don't th- I don't th- like I think they told me because it's more of aib than haram. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you want to come and go ask a sheikh or whatever, I think he would tell you mm-hmm. it's fine. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like, I was lucky to kind of grow up, like, with my dad, when he came here from Palestine, he came here, he was probably, I think he was around 21 22 and so he was very young I mean and he even went to college here for a little bit so I kind of had two sides of my family always telling me one thing and the other side telling me another but my dad what he and I credit this to him because he really raised me with the mentality of you know Islam is perfect and you hear that a lot Islam is perfect but we are but Muslims aren't so a lot of the times what you know culture says it says okay this is wrong and this is wrong and this is what they'll give you a whole entire list you're like okay I can't even live you know what I mean I mean as well just stay home but I think really what you have to do and like um, like you were mentioning you have to look at the intention of everything you know what I mean are you doing it for the right reasons and if that's it then God knows don't even complicate it for yourself you know what I mean that's really what it comes down to is God knows your heart he knows you better than you know yourself he's the one that created you so even if there's that little like thing inside of you that may be, you know, doing it for another reason, he knows that as well. So it's kind of like you just have to follow your religion more than you follow what other people say. Well, my family, I mean, they just put emphasis on education because my mother, she got married and she couldn't go back to school. And she told me, she's like, Mariam, you have to stay, you know, you have to stay in school. She's like, I regret, like, not even going back, you know, like, I don't, I have some free time. 
but I can't spend it doing something that I love. And she was actually going to go into business, and she said that she had a job, I think, um, I think it was in Quiz, for like some big company. And she, you know, she had the opportunity, and then she said she liked it, and she was studying like accounting and everything. And she just told me, she's like, she wishes she can go back to school, but it's like once you have kids, you kind of can't, like it gets a little bit harder to do that. So she just kept telling me, go back to, you know, stay in school, don't ever drop out, and just pursue whatever you love, but make sure, you know, there's something you like, and then make sure your intentions are always good whenever you're doing this. Any other questions? Okay, please show your appreciation for these three brave young women. did an excellent job. If you'd like to follow up on these conversations or are interested in Islam, you can join us at our regular MSA meetings on Mondays and Thursdays from 12.30 to 1.30 in U209. You can also tune in to Yahala Voice on 1450 AM or com. Thank you again for joining us today. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.